Hey folks, just wanted to jump in here right at the top of the episode and say sorry for missing last uh, episode time two weeks ago. Uh, we had a bunch of stuff going on that week and it just didn't end up getting done. And to give us a little bit more time, we decided to go ahead and wait until this week to release. And then we had some family emergency stuff come up yesterday. So we're releasing a day later than we should have. Uh, so thank you for your patience. Uh also, I uh, just wanted to give you a heads up. This one's going to be a little bit of a different kind of episode. We're trying something out to see uh, how we can kind of flesh out the gaps when we are a little bit more busy. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. It's a little bit of a weird one, but we will be back to our regularly scheduled programming in two weeks. So please enjoy the episode. Uh, and if you have any feedback, please email us at bottleepisodepod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Thank you. Bottle Episode is a spirited podcast about spiritist libations. Those under their country's legal drinking age should turn off this podcast and go do your homework. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Bottle Episode, the professional bartender's guide for the cocktail enthusiast. I'm Lan. I'm a professional bartender. And I'm Elise, and I am a cocktail enthusiast. Yes, you are. And today is going to be a very special family minisode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because my siblings, uh, Reed and Sarah, just came into town, and they're going to be our special guests. Yeah. So we're going to do, say hi. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. How Welcome was your flight? to the pod. It was good. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't get to sit next we, to each other. We literally just like tossed headphones on them and were like, you're going to be on this podcast. <laughs> uh, so uh, today we're not going to talk about a cocktail uh, because of scheduling and, and the summer being a wild time and just being oh so busy. Uh, we we decided we're going to try something different out. We're going to do like a little mini-sode uh, where we go on a deep dive about uh, a topic. And today we are going to be talking about gin and more specifically, the gin craze. Uh, do wow. <laughs> uh, So at least you know a little bit about the gin craze because we've talked about it before. Yes. Uh, but Reed and Sarah, have y'all heard of the gin craze or do you know what it is at all? No, I really. have heard that it takes... 60 years off of the lifespan. That is not misinformation. That is not at all true. Um, I guess, like, kind of true. So, let's talk a little bit about gin. Um, so, gin is uh, defined by the US as a spirit distilled from grain uh, and uh, infused with juniper. Uh, either after or during the distillation process. Uh, so it has to have juniper in it. Uh -huh. um, and juniper is a huge part of gin, and we'll get into that. So there are differing reports on how gin was created, when it was created initially. Uh, was it created by the physician Franciscus Silvius in the 1650s? It wasn't. Uh, or by other folks way before then? Yes. Uh, but for a time, Silvius was credited with the invention. Uh, but there's evidence to support that the earliest forms of gin were created in the 13th century. And before that, juniper has a much longer history of medicinal use uh, and even use in distillation. Uh, plague doctors would put juniper berries in their masks because it was, it was said to ward off the plague. 
And uh, in Salerno, in the 11th century, monks were distilling wine that had been infused with juniper berries. So different, but juniper has a long history of medicinal and uh, distillation use. Uh, But the earliest written reference to what eventually became gin was in the 13th century. Uh, It was described at the time as aquavitae with juniper, which uh, translates to water of life. Uh, Aquavitae is a pervasive uh, term for distilled spirits across like a bunch of different disparate areas. So that's Mm. an interesting thing as well. Uh, But the first recipe for something known as Geneva Besin Water or juniper berry water showed up in a Dutch distilling manual in the mid 16th century. Uh, So what is quiz time? What is the most popular style of gin gin and tonic like that is a cocktail, cocktail okay yeah the style <laughs> of gin oh i don't know a single style of gin I don't okay know what that means i i do know and i knew i know that i'm correct because we just talked about it but uh london dry yeah london dry gin, gin oh, is yeah, the yeah. most popular style of gin you see it on most gin bottles that you see uh it's wildly popular but it didn't always it wasn't always that way and uh, and it's tough to talk about gin and its lo- role in the later gin craze without talking about the Dutch origins of uh, Geneviève or Geneva. Uh, so Holland has been making Geneva, and that's how I'm going to pronounce it. I don't think I think that they can kind of do it either way, and I think that rolls off the tongue a little bit better. If it is Dutch, is it Geneviève? It could be Geneviève. <laughs> um, for sure, yeah, but, <laughs> Geneviève. Uh, but for a long stretch of time. Jennifer, which is Dutch for juniper, uh, was made from malted barley distilled with juniper and other botanicals such as clove, coriander, caraway, and anise. Uh, big, big difference between what we know as gin now and Jennifer, which is still being produced, but not quite as popular as it was at one point, uh, is gin these days is not made from malted barley. Malted barley is going to make your uh, your end product, it's going to taste a little bit more like malty or like bready, kind of like a sourdough starter kind of thing. Uh, so that's what they were making and they were really good at it. And they were uh, around the 1600s. There were like 400 distilleries uh, in in Holland that were just pumping this stuff out. Uh, so it was a major export for the Dutch and it made some headway in England, but French brandy was king in the spirits world at the time. So mm-hmm. your cognacs, your armagnacs, your calvados, all that good stuff. I have a question. Yes, of course. Yeah, okay. chime in whenever you want. There are no real. There are no rules. So you said London Dry is the mm-hmm. most common. Yes. So you said it started in Holland. It did. So what? Where did that name? come from uh we will we will get get to that um (laughs) yeah and and to be clear london dry is a style of gin it is not uh it does not have to be produced in london yeah yeah i mean some people (laughs) think that all all london dry comes out of london so i mean there Uh, are really like region specific types of alcohol so that makes sense yeah absolutely but it is a style it can be created anywhere um but uh like I said, French brandy was the king in spirits world at the time. It was pretty readily available, uh, relatively cheap, and uh, there was a lot of it. Um, but it was so like when the poorer people in England were drinking, it was typically t- 
typically brandy. Um, but mostly they were drinking beer, which is important to remember. Uh, most everybody was drinking beer and a lot of people didn't have any experience with uh, higher alcohol, like hard liquor. Uh, so something that we need to remember that historically has always been true and likely will always be true to some degree is that while the English uh, love to imitate the French and and steal like culture from the French, they also really hate the French. Mm. Uh, as evidenced by the hundreds of years of wars between those two countries. Uh, so when the slightly suspiciously Dutch uh, William of Orange became King William III of England in 1689, he placed tariffs on French imports, increasing the price and, the, and decreasing the availability of French wine and brandy. So there was a mm. big gap in the market that appeared kind of overnight. Uh, Jennifer was more expensive and less available than brandy had been. So it didn't bridge that gap, but at the time, uh, but it was, but it was, it was kind of like a novelty product in England at the time. Uh, so people had experience with it. Uh, and at the time around the same time, the English had a surplus of grain. So in order to promote drinking and importing anything other than, uh, French stuff, they subsidized the distillation of English grain. Uh, and so in 1690, the act for encouraging uh, the act for the encouraging of the distillation of brandy and spirits from corn was passed and the floodgates opened. Uh, what happened essentially was that the English had legalized the unlicensed production of spirits made from grain. And over the next 60 years, about 7,000 gin shops popped up all over London and the rest of England. Uh, but London specifically was bursting at the seams population-wise at the time, and they were distilling grain that was not fit for beer. It was the stuff that, that, that beer brewers wouldn't use, and they were distilling it with whatever ramshackle stills uh, they could cobble together. And this gin was dirt-cheap, and extra, extra plentiful. Uh, it was more plentiful than beer, and it was cheaper than beer. And so London And it was like, wild. by volume, more plentiful. Mm -hmm. By volume, more plentiful. So that's where the, the name mm -hmm. comes from. There we go. So, Elise, uh, you and I talked briefly last episode about how, uh, and I'll kind of give you all a brief explanation. We'll go with the rice cooker explanation of, of distillation. Okay. Okay. Uh, so basically, you take some sort of fermented substance. It's typically either beer or wine. You put it in your still, and you heat it. And because alcohol boils at a lower temperature than water, uh, the alcohol turns into vapor, uh, which rises up through the still and then condenses at the top. And then it flows down. Typically, they get really, really intricate, but the most basic, they flow down a tube and condense and what you get at the bottom of that is condensed uh, alcohol, and that's the liquor. Okay. And so when you're distilling, you have what's called the heads, the tails, and the hearts. Uh, the heads are the first thing that comes off the still, uh, and that is typically methanol and other harmful chemicals. Uh, methanol is lethal in uh, large doses, and it 
can ruin your product. So basically what you do with the heads is you get you pour it off and you get rid of it. Then you have the hearts. That's what you want. That's the ethanol. That's the other, other compounds uh, that mostly make alcohol taste good. And so you want to keep that. And then at the very tail end of your distillation, uh, the last thing to come off the still are other compounds that some are nice for flavors, but most of them are the nastier flavors you get from lower quality spirits. And so you get rid of that as well. Uh, so you've got the heads, tails, and hearts. At this time, they didn't really care about that. So they were getting the methanol, the stuff that that can kill you. They were getting those nasty flavors from the back end of the distillation process, and they were selling all of it. Uh, so, so it was super safe and good. Super safe and good. I kind of want to try that. <laughs> you, you straight up, you straight up do not. Uh, so to put it in perspective, as as things were increasing. Uh, just before William III took the throne, gin production in England was about 500,000 gallons. By the 1730s, it had increased to 11 million gallons. So what ended up happening was you had a populace that was used to drinking beer, a lower alcohol beverage, in pretty large quantities, and they now had access to gin in equal, if not greater, quantities. And meanwhile, you had this wave of working-class folks coming from uh, coming from other parts of England and all kind of coalescing in London because that's where the jobs were supposed to be. That's where you would go to make your, you know, to have a better life. But there weren't enough jobs to go around. And so what happened was you had an oversaturated city with a massive population of jobless, destitute people with no way out, sorrows aplenty, and also plenty of gin. So uh, a quote from History Extra, London's population was around 600,000 at the time, and there were only two other towns in England with a population of even 20,000. London was the first grand anonymous city. There were none of the social con constraints of a village where everybody knew everybody's business, and there were none of the financial safeguards either with a parish that would support its native poor or the family and friends who might have looked after you at home. Instead, there was gin. So it was this perfect storm. Gin was cheap. People had slim experience drinking hard liquor, and they had no jobs to occupy them. And gin was there to solve the problem. Another note on the quality of the gin. So mm -hmm. I've mentioned that it's a pretty nasty spirit already. Mm -hmm. uh, in order to make it taste slightly better, they were adding, they weren't adding juniper berries like you're supposed to. They were adding other things that tasted like juniper, such as pine resin, otherwise uh, more colloquially known as turpentine. Mm, uh, which yeah. consumed in larger doses is the stuff that makes you go blind. Fun. Very fun. Mm -hmm. So they were putting that in there. They were also uh, they were also adding sulfuric acid, which straight up burns through metal. I think I take back what I said about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, so still so, not curious. Try it out. A little taste test. And they were they were drinking this stuff. In the same quantity that they were drinking beer, they didn't have any experience drinking harder alcohol, so they were drinking it by the pint. And in the cold months, they were drinking it hot. <laughs> yeah, that sounds so bad. Like ha just plain, plain, nothing hot. In it. Yeah, they were drinking terrible it straight, gin. hot mm -hmm. gin. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, so things <laughs> <laughs> so 
Like, honestly, I don't know how much money you would need to pay me to drink a hot pint of this this stuff. Like, I don't know if I could do it. I'd probably do it for like 10 bucks. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't pay me to do it. Uh, so as things as, th- as things keep going, uh, it's it's readily available. There's there was a sign in front of one of these gin shops that said drunk for a penny, dead drunk for two pennies and clean straw for nothing. Uh, and basically it was making the assumption like for a couple pennies, you'd be too drunk to, to go home and you would fall asleep on just a bed of straw. Mm-hmm. Which at the time didn't pubs have straw on the floor. Mm-hmm, I so that so. was, they would just pass out. Yeah. But, like you'll be passed pass out, out on, the, on floor. the floor of this bar. Yeah. So essentially what, what happened is that it just kept going to the point where it's, it's been compared Although I think it probably ended up being worse just because it lasted for so much longer. Mm-hmm. It's been, but it's been compared to the crack epidemic of the 80s in the U.S. That's how wild it was. Okay. And it was going on for so, so long. Uh, it kind of all public opinion started to kind of change about this. And the elites, you know, the rich people who weren't really being bothered by all this uh, really started to take notice when... Uh, in 1734, a woman named Judith DeFore strangled her two-year-old son and sold his clothes for gin. Uh, she was then uh, tried and executed, uh, and public opinion started to change about this whole thing. Uh, but that's that's what it took. But it didn't stop there. In 1751, so 15 years later, mm-hmm. 20 years later, I'm bad at math, 15 years later, uh, William Hogarth produced a print called uh, Gin Lane, uh, which I will show you now because it's he had two different prints. One was called Gin Lane and the other one was called Beer Street. And it was basically true. Uh, like Gin Lane was this like just horror scene of of people just li- people's lives being ruined by gin. And then Beer Street was like people all happy and prosperous and like everybody's having a good time Mm -hmm. and they were kind of next to each other. Like here's what we used to be with like when we were drinking beer, here's gin and here's what it's doing to us. Yeah. Which is also interesting too, because it's not like anti-alcohol. It's just like this stuff just. Yeah. Is it was like, it was pro beer, anti uh, gin. Where were they published? Uh, It was published, I believe in a. Like where they like, put in public places frequently or was it just like in a magazine or in a newspaper somewhere? Um, it was the two print prints were issued a month after Hogarth's friend, Henry Fielding published his contribution to the debate on gin an inquiry to the late increase in robbers. Uh, but and so I think they were, it was a month after that. So was it just circulated or was it in that thing? Uh, no, it was after that. So yeah. I think they were submitted on their own. Okay. But this is what it looked like. Um, and it was a pretty striking thing that that also continued to uh, draw attention to the issue. We'll put these on our Instagram. So you'll see like people dead in a wheelbarrow with another person next to them drinking gin. There's a woman like who is too drunk to breastfeed her baby, so the baby falls over like some stairs. Was this published after the incident with the lady? It was published almost, it was published 16 years after. 
Okay. Which I think like it wasn't a direct response to that. Like it seems okay. like it was bad for a really long yeah, yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> uh, So all this is happening. Uh, and the government does start to take notice. They're not letting this all go completely unanswered. Uh, and in this was even before Judith DeFore uh, was convicted. They tried to pa- they tried to pass the Gin Control Act of 1729. Uh, they raised taxes on gin merchants, uh, but they ended up repealing it about four years later uh, because it didn't curb public drunkenness. It didn't really do anything. And then in 1736, they uh, did a they passed a more restrictive Gin Act, uh, and it required the purchase of licenses and all these other things. Uh, but there was just no way to regulate it. There were too many gin shops just flagrantly flouting those rules uh, Mm. to the point where uh, in direct response to the Gin Act of 1936, uh, a statue was created called the Puss Puss and Mew. It was a cat, a metal cat, uh, and it's known as one of the first vending machines. Uh, And you put a coin in, and the person behind the statue would pour gin and it would stream out the cat's mouth uh, to whoever had just put the coins in the vending machine. Would they uh, just like stand there with their mouth open or would they like put a cup? I'm sure that I'm sure that both happened. <laughs> uh, so. Which like I like I don't obviously this that the gin that was coming out of that was really bad. But like honestly if that's not functional today like that would be so fun and so cute. Yeah I'd want to go. Like I would definitely do that. <laughs> So, uh, and, and they, they, the Gen Act of 1936 was like giving rewards to informants who reported unlicensed gen sales, uh, but that they couldn't enter a building without the testimony of an informant. So this, this thing could just sell all the gen it wanted while it was like also protecting the anonymity of whoever was behind it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, around... 1943, this is when the peak of the gin craze hit. So this is this is 40 years after the... Well, 50. More than, yeah, it's almost if, 50 years. After that first initial yeah. act saying, yeah, go almost, crazy with that grain. Mm-hmm. It's more than 50 years after the initial act. Uh, more than 18 million gallons of gin were being consumed in England uh, and mostly in London. Uh, so this was happening other places as well, but it was primarily happening in london um but they and then they tried again with another gin act in in 1751 uh and they made it illegal for distillers to sell to anybody but licensed retailers and it lowered gin production raised gin prices so things started to kind of take a downturn uh and at the same time there were there was an increase of stigma to public drunkenness and and so public opinion started to turn against against gin at this time. Uh, also, another fun fact: tea was becoming more popular, hmm. uh, and so it became it kind of just fizzled out. But over the over that time, London, which had an inc- like a vastly increasing population, the death rate began to outweigh the birth rate. Whoa. Which is, yeah, wild. So, uh, the gin craze, you know, started with a boom 
and then kind of faded with a whimper, but it lasted 60 years. Yeah, just such a long time. Just such a long time. When you think about like how long the pandemic has lasted, which I mean feels like forever, just imagine. It feels like 60 years. (laughs) Imagine how long that would have felt. For 60 years. Yeah, Which I mean, it's not like you can go out and, and catch the gin craze, except maybe you can. Except maybe you can. Swept up in it. Do you know how many people died total? Uh, I will look that up because I don't have that. Uh, I honestly bet it was really hard to yeah. know because I'm sure people just like were on like passed out in an alley and mm-hmm. like just got picked up. Yeah, it doesn't say. Mm. I think it was I think at that point it was really, really tough to yeah. tell. Yeah, that's like, again, such like a long time period to like quantify that. And mm-hmm. again, like these are people also like it, it sucks, but like the fact that they were poor and again, like a lot of them were probably homeless and like people probably didn't like weren't caring for the people and not like taking good account of what was happening to who. Yeah. And, you know, there were there were other factors as well. You know, obviously the government was trying to curtail the 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 production of gin, but also. And, you know, the increase of uh, popularity of things like tea and also uh, grain was getting more expensive again as well. So it was it was Mm -hmm. also because you said like a lot like part of this was that people were coming to the city for work. So Mm -hmm. I imagine also a lot of people that ended up passing were people that came to the city with like no family, no support system. And Mm -hmm. so they probably just like disappeared. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely true. Like never heard from again. Like what happened to Joe? Mm-hmm. It's just like gin. I don't know. Wait, I have, it's just so sad. I have a question. So there's, it started in the Netherlands. So are they still getting imports from the Netherlands, or is it is it like all all of the, they, all of they were making it? The stuff from the Netherlands is like good stuff. It's lower alcohol. It's distilled to a lower proof. Um, it's and it and it's made well. It would have been compared to how cheap gin was like a pint of gin was like a penny which is like i mean how, i don't know how many ounces are in a, a pint off the top of my head but like that's like a half a bottle of gin yeah wow right it's size uh, wise yeah if point, you are three, filling it like up so what 375 is it? milliliters is yeah i think half of a bottle of uh, like a 750 milliliter bottle of, would fit of, in a pint glass mm-hmm. are we talking a penny in their time Yes, but like like the 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 smallest bit of currency could buy gin. Okay, okay. And they like half a bottle of gin that you would yeah, sit and drink crazy. in one sitting, and probably get a second. Yeah, it, it was a wild time. And something that I do think is interesting is that gin. It obviously fell out of fashion for a time, but it never really truly lost popularity. Uh, gin production definitely slowed, but it never halted. And with grain being more expensive, uh, mostly just more reputable distilleries were still working. And so another style of gin that became popular was Old Tom, uh, which was maybe still not the highest quality of distillation, even though it's like worlds better than anything that was was being created uh, during the gin craze. But it's uh, it's sweetened with sugar. Uh, And then over time, they got rid of the sugar, uh, increased the juniper content a little bit, and uh, that became London Dry gin. And that is what 
uh, England is most known for, despite these 60 years of pandemonium. Uh, but and and it, it had an interesting trajectory because gin, like Jennifer, would have been something that that mostly only richer folks had access to, and then gin became the drink for the poorest of the poor, and it stayed that way for a while. And uh, the richer folks in England were still drinking French brandy, and they were also drinking rum from the colonies. And then they turned around and. I don't even know when it happened, but but eventually the officers on ships were drinking gin while the common sailors were drinking were drinking rum, and you know, gin became the drink of the elite. And it was around when when London Dry became Old Tom and London Dry were becoming more of a thing. But gin is still a, an integral part of of English society. So, do they make the best gin then, or is there? Yeah. <laughs> uh they I don't I I wouldn't go so far as to say that they make the best gin. Um but they are very good at making gin. Uh there are some really wonderful distilleries out there that are making some of the the best stuff. I mean, one of my favorite gins of all time is Sipsmith and that's made that's made in England uh as is Bombay Sapphire uh or any of Bombay's products. Uh Tanqueray is made there. Beefeater is made there. Um, so a lot of your staple London dries are made there. But there's gin was not gin, especially in like the 1950s to 1980s, lost or 1970s to 1990s, really lost a lot of its popularity. And vodka became more more prominent. Uh, so there weren't a whole lot of gins on the market about 20 years ago. And now there are gin has seen another resurgence and now there are hundreds if not thousands of gin uh producers out there and there are a lot in the u.s now too uh there's a style that hasn't been fully recognized yet known as uh new western style gin which emphasizes other botanicals it still has the juniper as like the the front seat but then directly in the passenger seat and kind of backseat driving a little bit are other like other botanicals uh that feature you know, the the more local terroir or whatever. And and so there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in the gin field right now. And I really like gin a lot. Um, but it, it's uh, always weird to think about like this time. Yeah. Yeah, it's my favorite. And I never knew any of this yeah. Yeah. at all. Yeah, which I feel like it is also just like this. They weren't drinking like the gin of today. I feel like yeah. that's yeah. Like, like it's not the same. But yeah, it is crazy that it has this like crazy little wild history of 60 years of just like yeah. destroying England. Yeah. And I will say too, I mean, there, there is, I, I see parallels to this every now and then, not obviously not to the same degree, but I do see parallels to this uh, today where like folks don't know how to deal with cheap booze sometimes. Mm -hmm. like, or like if you go to a place and there's an open bar and you're not used to drinking liquor because it's more expensive than beer then you've got like free access to to liquor. I mean, people get real sloppy when they when they have like unfettered access, and mm -hmm. so obviously it's not the same. But it's but it does smack of that kind of like just the the availability of this. Uh, I think is part of what made it. It's it's I mean it's a huge portion of what made the gin craze happen. Yeah, 
But so anyway, anyway that's the moral case. of the story is drink responsibly. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and don't drink things that and, will kill you. Yeah. And don't drink and don't and drink relatively small doses. Bad gin. Oh, anyway, boy. Thank y'all for joining us. Do y'all yeah, have any no. questions? No. 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 <laughs> no, I'm just disappointed you guys didn't feed us gin, but. I mean, we, we can have some <laughs> we, have, we have a fair amount of gin downstairs. We could do uh, a little taste test. After. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, with all the different botanicals, we can talk about them. It'll be really fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Amazing. Well, Amazing. there's plenty of time for that, but I do have to go to work now. Yeah. So, so if you have any questions, uh, please send us uh, an email at bottleepisodepod.com or you can DM us on Instagram or TikTok at bottleepisodepod. Uh, and if you, I, I, we also really want to hear your feedback about the structure of this. Usually, I think it'll probably just be Elise and me. Uh, it was just a matter of circumstance that uh, I think you guys <laughs> should add me in uh, <laughs> permanently. We'll, we'll we'll call maybe call Sarah and read in for uh, mini sets every but now and then. Please let us know what you think. Them. I mean, it, it definitely is uh, easier for scheduling for for us to do these, but. Uh, it's not going to be like our regular programming. We're not changing the format of the podcast. No, this is just a fun little deep dive yeah. um, for something that like we wouldn't want to sit down and talk about just the gin craze with a guest when we're talking about a different cocktail for 30 minutes or whatever. Exactly. exactly. So something we can go in a little more depth on a really specific instance mm-hmm. of something or a type of something. Yeah. Whatever. Well, anyway, folks, uh, and also please, please, uh, Leave us a, you know, if you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, because Spotify does now have reviews. review Woo. mechanics. So you can do that there, too. If you have less than a five-star review, uh, you, you, just you can email, email us. us and tell us why you don't like the podcast, and we'll have a nice, good conversation, and hopefully we can make the podcast better for everyone. Uh, all right. But we will see you all in a couple weeks, yeah. and we'll be talking about another cocktail with another guest. Yeah, and we'll that will be what we do on this podcast. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye.